0: Over-the-counter medications are drugs. They have benefits, but they also have risks. And it's really important for um, older people before buying a new over-the-counter medication to talk to their doctor and or their pharmacist about what's most appropriate for them. And to talk about the reasons why they need a particular over-the-counter medication. You know, are they experiencing more pain? You know, let's, let's get at the reasons why that pain might be happening and their they're going, for, you know, for the Advil bottle, or they need, you know, extra strength Tylenol. Let's let's explore um, what might be going on um, that's causing that pain. Mm-hmm.
1: Hello, and welcome to Aging Matters, a program featuring timely topics for older adults and their families. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. People age 65 and older make up 12% of the U.S. population, but account for 34% of all prescription medication use and 30% of all over-the-counter medication use. Research shows the average older adult takes four or more prescription drugs each day and 39% take five or more prescriptions during that same period. My guest today is Kathleen Cameron, a pharmacist and senior director of the Center for Healthy Aging at the National Council on Aging. She will talk about medications, medication-related problems, and risks of multiple prescriptions and over-the-counter medications for older adults. She'll also explain the importance of de-prescribing medications and the need for medication reviews to maximize the benefits of medicines and reduce risk. So, thank you for being here today, Kathy, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Before we get started and talking about this really timely and important topic for older adults, why don't you give a little bit of an overview of the National Council on Aging and the kinds of programs and activities that your organization offers to address this particular issue?
0: Thank you so much. Yeah, I'd love to share a little bit about the National Council on Aging, we're actually the oldest national nonprofit organization dedicated to improving lives of older adults. We've been around since 1950, and we truly believe that aging well is a social justice issue and that everyone deserves to age with dignity, regardless of where they live, their gender, race, and sexuality. Um, I'll talk about just a few things that we do. We have a very active uh, policy and advocacy team, and they work really hard to defend and improve public programs that older adults depend upon like Medicare, Medicaid, the Older Americans Act. NCOA was very much involved in getting Medicare Part D, which is the prescription drug benefit program that so many older adults now depend upon and helps us save money. We we were really um, instrumental in getting that passed in Congress. NCOA has a Center for Benefits Access, and we fund and work very closely with community organizations to help older adults get access to important federal, state, and local benefits that many older adults don't even know that they're eligible for. Programs like the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, the Low-Income Home Energy Assistance Program, the Medicare Savings Program, Extra Help that I'll talk a little bit more about later um, in the podcast that help people pay for their medications. I direct the National Council on Aging Center for Healthy Aging, And we provide support to state and local organizations like state offices on aging and senior centers to deliver health promotion and disease prevention programs that help people manage their chronic diseases, chronic illnesses, uh, programs that help prevent falls and injuries. We um, connect people to uh, important exercise programs and we also help people to reduce social isolation and loneliness, which really is, as the Surgeon general says, is an epidemic in our country today, particularly among older adults. So all of these programs, you know, really helped older adults age well. Uh, that That's what we're about at NCOA. Um, and really, you know, an important thing that we need to recognize, and you kind of alluded to it in your introduction, is that, you know, older adults, and when I say older adults, I'm really talking about those over the age of 65, they're disproportionately impacted by chronic illnesses. We see more conditions come about as we age, Uh, diabetes, arthritis, hypertension, heart disease, cancer, and others. Um, About 95% of older adults have at least one chronic condition and nearly 80% have two or more chronic conditions. And it's really a challenge for many older adults to manage these chronic conditions. Many of them take multiple medications, as you just talked about. And um, certainly the fragmentation of our healthcare system really contributes to the challenges that older adults have in managing those conditions. So many of the programs that we help to promote at NCOA help to kind of fill in some of those gaps that that people are struggling with, with the healthcare system, helps them to become better informed about how to navigate through this fragmented healthcare system.
1: And taking that one step further, Kathy, I was wondering if also, as patients are treated by physicians, would you also say that the lack of knowledge and information between physicians and their patients can also lead to uh, medication related problems.
0: Yes, absolutely. Hopefully the takeaways from this podcast is that, you know, older adults need to be as knowledgeable as possible about their chronic conditions, how to treat them, and about their medications and to have ongoing conversations with their healthcare providers about their medications. But what happens in a fragmented system is that, you know, uh, an older person may be seeing different healthcare providers and different healthcare organizations, and they don't work well together, and there isn't information sharing across the systems. I think we're making some progress in better coordinating and collaborating on care, but it, it's still a problem for many, many older adults. So it's important for um, older adults to be proactive about their healthcare and to share um, everything from one doctor to another and also they can you know help to connect doctors in some cases but um you know having clear lines of communication with all healthcare providers is really critical and
1: now that we're beginning to talk about medications here i, I had already indicated that you know certain percentage take four or more prescription drugs some even five or more i was even enduring with my research in preparing these questions some that are up to 10. So given those numbers, what is considered then medication-related problems? Help us define when is
0: the number too many and what are the risks?: Great question, and I, I'd like to you know begin answering it by first acknowledging that medications are really important <laughs> to our lives you know medications are used to prevent disease to treat disease to cure disease in some some cases and you know our longevity um has been increased in part because of medications you know pharmaceutical research has come so far over the the past several decades but with anything there are risks associated with those medications and those risks really escalate as we get older for a number of reasons and that's why um, having those strong lines of communication with healthcare providers is is so key. When it becomes important, really polypharmacy is is the term that um, some of your listeners may have heard about, and that's typically de- defined as um, taking five or more medications. And from numerous research studies, it's been shown that that cutoff of five medications is associated with an increased risk for adverse outcomes, for negative outcomes with those medications. And it could be things like falls, increased frailty, um, changes in function, disability, and even in some cases um, could lead to death, um, having multiple medications. And that's why it's so important to optimize medication regimens. And and really... um, optimizing medication regimens is a key and really important part of good geriatric care. So to answer your question, kind of that, it's five meds or more which um, healthcare providers consider polypharmacy. But I like to think of medication appropriateness um, in terms of what I call medication-related problems, because it extends beyond polypharmacy. um, Because in some cases, polypharmacy is appropriate, Some people do need five or more medications because they have conditions like heart disease or um, Parkinson's disease that actually require multiple medications. So that's why um, doing all we can to decrease medication-related problems is key. So when I talk about medication-related problems, I'm really referring to making sure that every medication someone is taking is appropriate for the conditions that they have and for their particular physiology um, and for their age, that they're that they're safe, that they're not interacting with other medications that could lead to adverse effects, that the dose is appropriate. And as we age, we need to sometimes decrease the dose of medications because our bodies become our bodies change. And we can talk a little bit more about some of those changes. And the the other piece is that every everyone taking a medication needs to understand how to take that medication correctly. Um, where it could be, um, you know, the time of the day, whether they should take it with food, without food, um, what food should they avoid in their diet if they're taking certain medications, if they're using things like inhalers. If they have um, respiratory or lung diseases, that they're using those inhalers correctly. So there's lots of education that patients need so that they are sure to take the medications the right way and at the right time.
1: And I want to get more into those different aspects of the medications, but I liked what you said in terms of these changes, because needless to say, as we defined our aging population over 65, People from 65 to 105 may be very different. And so just tell us a little briefly about some of these changes that can impact how the body reacts to these medications that we're going to talk about.
0: You're exactly right. Everyone's a little bit different. So I'm talking kind of in general terms, but um, in pharmacy speak, we refer to some of the changes as pharmacokinetic changes, and they're really, that's defined as what the body does to a medication, and it includes things like how a medication is absorbed, how it is actually distributed across the body when it gets into the bloodstream, how the drug is metabolized, and it typically most of the metabolism happens through our liver through enzymes that are produced within our liver and also how we eliminate or excrete or get rid of drugs from our body and that happens mostly through our our kidneys so as we age the functions that impact absorption distribution the metabolism and the elimination of drugs change in particular i think what's most clinically important to think about is um, the metabolism and and excretion. So our, our kidneys and our liver function declines as we age. So medications often need to be adjusted in terms of the dose or the type of medication because of changes in kidney and liver function. And one of the primary rules of prescribing to older adults is something referred to as START, low and go slow but don't give up so start with a low dose of a medication when a medication is being prescribed at first go slow with the dose until you get the um the desired effect of that medication so i hope that that helps in terms of thinking about you know the changes that our that our bodies go through as we age and how those changes impact how drugs are are taken in And used by our body. So, you know, as those functions decline, what could happen in terms of side effects or that could lead to side effects or adverse effects is that we could build up toxic levels of certain types of medications over time if the doses aren't adjusted down um, to begin with.
1: Tell us more about the side effects. I mean, I think one of the things that always strikes me when I look at a new medication are all of the possible side effects And it's worrisome sometimes because you think, do I really want this medication? You know, am I going to get all these side effects? Maybe not taking anything might be a bit better. And the other thing I wonder about is, do people end up getting medications to treat the side effects of the medication that we just got to treat something
0: else? Yeah, you bring up something that is a true problem with older adults. We call it the cascade effect, where a medication is prescribed And it leads to a problem, a side effect, an adverse effect of sorts that isn't recognized as being caused by the medication. So the doctor may prescribe something else to deal with that new problem. And sometimes that can go on and on with, you know, three or four different medications. So we want to avoid that. One thing um, a wonderful um, geriatrician um, once said is that any symptom in an older adult should be considered a drug side effect until proven otherwise. So in other words, let's look at what that new symptom is, figure out what it is, but first look at the medication that might be causing that symptom, that side effect, whatever it is, before we take any other action, um, like prescribing another medication. Side effects... In older adults, you know, can range from, you know, it's it's a broad range of things. But the ones that we tend to be most concerned about are things that impact our everyday function, um, like medications um, that may make us drowsy or sleepy during the day. There are many medications that that do that. Again, because older adults more slowly eliminate those medications. So even something we might take to help us sleep at night, that drug may still be around in the body of an older person, you know, then, you know, 18 hours later that could make a person sleepy. Um, Dizziness is another problem um, with many medications, Um, even impact on our um, cognition, our memory, um, our coordination and mobility you know, as someone who works in geriatrics, those are the ones that we're most most concerned about because it's going to prevent, you know, someone from engaging in the things that they want to engage in or put them at risk for things like uh, falls or motor vehicle accidents, auto accidents. So, um, yeah, so those are the things. But we can also have, you know, gastrointestinal side effects from medications um, and, and many, many others. So that's why it's always important for all patients to understand what some of the possible side effects are when a new medication is being prescribed, what to look for, and also what to do. You know, at what point is a side effect so bad that someone needs to call their doctor and say, this, this is not right. I I need to stop taking this medication. And sometimes older adults think well that that'll just go away, but sometimes it doesn't, and can lead to to some negative negative side effects and you know the other issue which we haven't talked about are drug interactions, and the drug interaction could be drug drug interactions um sometimes one drug can make another drug less or more effective in the body um we also have um drug disease interactions. Um, where there are certain drugs that shouldn't be taken with certain conditions like um, decongestants that you can purchase over the counter should not be taken uh, by someone with high blood pressure. Um, So that's one. We also see food-drug interactions. Again, um, one of the most common ones that some people may be aware of is the interaction with grapefruit juice. There are actual compounds or chemicals in grapefruit juice that impact um, enzymes in our stomach, that affect how much of a drug is absorbed from the stomach into the bloodstream. So that could actually um, increase blood levels of certain medications that, that could impact, uh, that could create side effects. So lots to think about there. But again, making sure you know when you're prescribed something that you truly understand all these issues and ask questions no question is a bad question for your doctor. so <laughs> Or your pharmacists. And, absolutely. And your pharmacists, yes.
1: And the other aspect I think that a lot of our listeners are probably eager to hear what you have to say is about expired medications. You know, somebody decides they're not going to take all of them and then all of a sudden they have some kind of condition. What do we need to know about expired medications?
0: We see that quite a bit where older people... They don't want to throw away their medications, maybe thinking that, well, this might be a medication that will be prescribed to me sometime later. I don't need it now, but I might need it later. Um, My advice is get rid of all expired medication. Yes. Check the expiration date, get rid of those medications. And I really um, highly recommend taking advantage of what is known as take-back programs, so twice a year. Um, typically, it's like fire departments, police departments, other places within the community will have, I um, think it's an April and October on a Saturday where you can bring back expired medications or medications that uh, your doctor has told you, you no longer need. Don't keep those medications around in the house because that could just lead to confusion about which medication to take. Or um, if you have medications like opioids or other types of medications that you no longer need, you want to get rid of those because, you know, who knows whose hands those medications could get into? So, using those take back days is really important. I, you know, definitely um, recommend a twice-year medication cleanup um and get getting rid of all those expired medications medications no longer being prescribed by your doctor
1: wasn't there also in that regard not to throw them down the toilet
0: yes absolutely we don't want the medications to end up in our in our waterways which can happen yeah yeah flushing down the toilet is no longer recommended if you want to get rid of your medications you don't want to wait until one of those take back days or your pharmacy doesn't accept um, medications to be returned, you can you can put them um, in your trash, but you should definitely, you know, conceal them. Like put them in a bag with something like kitty litter or um, maybe coffee grinds or something so that if someone is going to go through your trash, they will be concealed. Also recommend if you're going to throw out the um, the medicine bottles themselves that you peel off the label so that people won't See your name and any other identifying information from those prescription bottles.
1: One thing that I also saw, Kathy, as I was doing research to prepare these questions, it was the culture of prescribing. Talk about that. What does that mean, and what 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 factors can lead to the idea
0: of a pill for every ill? I agree. I think we do live in a culture where we want to pill for for everything, kind of a, a quick fix for for problems that we may be experiencing, uh, whether they're physical or or mental in nature. And you know, sometimes it's easy for a doctor just to prescribe something, you know, to treat a condition. Uh, I'm not saying that's not appropriate in all situations, but maybe it's better to figure out what are the underlying causes before we move to a specific treatment. And I think you know definitely one of the factors that's contributed to kind of a pill for everything is um direct to consumer advertising where we hear you know every day on on TV um medications being um uh, being advertised you know over the TV over you know in actually in magazines and in every place so i think we're more aware of what what's available and in some cases, it is appropriate to prescribe a medication. In others, it's um, it might not be. So we need to step back and, again, address the underlying causes before prescribing.
1: Let's have a scenario now. Assuming that someone has a particular condition that might warrant a medication, a new medication, set the stage here, what information should an older adult or perhaps they have a Patient advocate with them, give to the the health professional so that it, it's in a particular context. What questions should they ask the healthcare provider? And maybe even go so far as to go through some kind of a medication review, so they know about that. What what do we need to know about that?
0: Lots of questions should be asked when a new prescription or a new over-the-counter medication is is recommended by um, a healthcare provider. Um, First of all, I recommend that everyone have um, a medication, I call it a medication record form, where you can list all the medications that you take, um, the dose of those medications, um, why the medication is being prescribed, side effects to look for, that should be with a person all the time. So, you know, keep it in your wallet or your purse or wherever, or, um, and share it with your doctors. All your doctors should have access to that. Um, and if you need help filling out that form, pharmacists can help. The pharmacist should have a list of all your, your medications. So, um, so that's, that's kind of the first piece is to share that information with, with your doctor about all the medications that you're taking. Again, going back to that fragmented system where maybe your primary care doctor doesn't know what the orthopedic doctor has prescribed or the heart doctor has prescribed. So again, I mean, primary care should know, but in case that isn't um, that isn't the case, then um, share that information. But some of the questions that uh, should be asked when a new prescription is given is first of all you know why why is the medication prescribed you know what condition is is the medication treating what should i expect from the medication and when should i expect any changes um, in some cases a person may not feel any any impact per se like for high blood pressure you know it's kind of an invisible unseen condition and the only way we know if the medication is working is by actually taking our blood pressure That's a case where um, that's how you monitor if the medication is working. Um, There are other things, you know, pain medication, you might want to know how long before I'll get pain relief on a regular basis. Or if you're taking something for, you know, arthritis where you have swelling in the joints, how long might it take to get an effect? Other questions to ask, how long do I need to take the medication? Uh, what are medication side effects? We've already talked about that. And what should I do when those side effects happen? How much do I take, which is, you know, what is the dose of the medication? And when should I take the medication? Um, Should it be taken with food, without, you know, without food in between meals? Um, And if I'm taking many other medications, how should I take this new medication in relationship to the other meds? Can I take them at the same time? Should I separate them out? So. You know, other considerations, you know, again, it's important that um, older adults share with their doctors, not just the prescription drugs, but all over-the-counter medications that they're taking, okay? Sometimes we forget about those. We think they're available over-the-counter. They've got to be safe. Well, they are medications and they they have benefits, but they also have some risks, especially for older adults. Alcohol use is another thing that older adults should share. Um, tell their their doctors how much they're drinking if they are drinking because many medications do interact negatively with with alcohol in some cases a doctor may recommend that an older person stop drinking completely if they're on certain types of medications so so that's that's a really important thing to share with their doctors um, also we're seeing more and more use of marijuana c b d among the older adult population, um primarily for two reasons: one to help with pain and the other I think for sleep, so sharing that information with doctors is important too, because medications that are prescribed can interact um with with those substances as well and it It's just important for doctors to know. If someone is taking those generally, um, because perhaps there are other things that can be done to to treat the conditions for which um, a patient is taking, you know, CBD or or marijuana. Many older adults don't divulge that information to their to their doctors, unfortunately. But it is important if you have chronic conditions or you're taking multiple medications. Yeah. And
1: one thing I was going to add, since I am a nurse and remember this from my my days of still practicing nursing is if you're taking an antibiotic, even if you start to feel better, make sure that you take the whole regimen because sometimes people, depending on how many pills you're supposed to take, that that's really important.
0: Absolutely. If a prescription for an antibiotic is prescribed for 10 days, don't stop at seven because you feel like the infection is gone. You need to take it (laughs) fully for the 10 days to totally eliminate um, the infection.
1: So, now that we've been talking about this sort of medication review, let's talk a little bit more about how often it should be conducted. Uh, What does that mean? And is there a possibility that maybe it might be time to deprescribe some of these medications? What does that process look like? Tell us more about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that older adults should get a medication review at least twice a year. You know, we go see the dentist twice a year. Why not get a medication review twice a year as well? Um, However, I think if, if an older person is getting a lot of changes throughout the year to their medication regimen, then those reviews need to happen more frequently at the point when a new medication is prescribed. I also think it's important perhaps to have a review done um, after someone is in the hospital, because often when a person is in the hospital, there can be some medication changes. And um, that's where we see a lot of um, confusion about what medications to take. Do I continue to take those medications I was taking before I was admitted to the hospital? What about the new ones that have been added? So to me, that's a vital point for a medication review to happen. And I would um, say the the pharmacist, you know, regular pharmacists who they see in the community can do that medication review. And in some cases, you may need to maybe set up an appointment to see the pharmacist. Um, or the primary care provider, the primary care physician can do the medication review as well. And um, you're right, deprescribing is something that... Um, those of us who work in geriatrics talk a lot about, and it's actually um, sort of a planned and really supervised process. Either reducing the dose of a medication, tapering a dose, or stopping a medication that may be causing some harm or may no longer be a benefit to the patient. It should be part of all prescribing and thinking about, you know, what's again appropriate, effective, and safe for for the the patient. So in some cases, you know, like I said, if it's a dose reduction or elimination, a patient may have to be monitored through that process. Some medications may result in some withdrawal symptoms that we want to avoid. So slowly um, decreasing the dose of a medication, it might be needed um, in some cases. A lot of geriatricians are using this approach. And it's part of the medication review.
1: Well, the next question I had is something that I've certainly wondered about. It, but I think that older adults and their caregivers or families also wonder about is the difference between brand name medicines and generic. There seems to be, as I've gotten older, more generics now. And are they as good? Uh, You know, are they if they're produced overseas? Might that make it inferior? Are generics just as effective in all cases? What do we need to know there?
0: Yeah, a brand name drug is when a, a medication first comes to the marketplace after you know years of study and FDA approval. It is um, it is available. It's on the the market for uh, certain conditions, and um, typically brand name drugs have um, a certain length of time in which. Their patent um it they have a patent, and no other medications like it can come onto the market and like it, I mean with the same active ingredient for which um the medication has been approved um, by by the fDA so i and honestly, I can't remember I think it's it's seventeen or nineteen years in which a medication has patent protection after that time, then equivalent medications can be sold. And they're known as generics. And they go through, they have to prove to the FDA that they are equivalent to the brand name drug. So yes, they are. They are the same. They are just as effective as the brand name drug. And for older adults who might be on a fixed income, generic drugs are great because they're less expensive than um, the brand name drugs.
1: And I'm wondering sometimes because you know, I've purchased certain medications, and you know the generics don't cost me anything, but a brand name would still be very, very expensive. Is is that because it doesn't cost as much now to produce that
0: drug? That that's part of it, and also um, it's it's more expensive for brand names because the pharmaceutical companies are you know hoping to recoup the costs that went into the development of that drug. You know, the research the um the development that went into you know what's the best um dosage form for the drug what what about the the actual dose for so there there's a lot of upfront costs that the pharmaceutical companies have to um pay for so this is part of how they recoup those costs in this country we are just starting to have negotiations on drug prices from um from the federal perspective so um in within the medicare program um they're rolling out some negotiation of starting with 10 drugs next year for common conditions that older adults have like you know arthritis heart disease cancer um and so the medicare program is going to be ne- negotiating those those prices so that's going to help bring down some of the costs of brand name drugs that we haven't yet seen before and the plan is within medicare over time the number of drugs on an annual basis will increase i think the next year there's going to be um additional 15 drugs that the federal government will negotiate the price of so again that'll help bring down the, the price of those brand-name drugs. Other countries negotiate with drug companies on, on those costs. So we're, we're very different here in the United States.
1: I would like to think that there are older adults who aren't on Medicare yet. So I just wanted to find out if there is a difference in insurance coverage for generic medicines versus brand-name medicines. I mean, let's, let's put Medicare aside for a moment.
0: Yeah, yeah. Typically um, insurance companies will have different tiers of, of coverage for medications and oftentimes um, brand name drugs that have a generic available will be in the top tier and they'll have like the highest co payment associated with those with those medications. Generics tend to be in the lowest tier. Not that Meaning that they have the lowest um, copayment associated with those those medications. So, again, people can save money by by getting the generic drugs, um, and typically the insurance company is paying a lot less for those generic drugs as well. You know, through the through the pharmacies that they reimburse for the drugs.
1: And another aspect now that I think older adults and maybe even non-older adults are thinking about is ordering medicines by mail. So talk to us about that. Is that preferable for older
0: adults? Might there be possible problems? What should they know? Yeah, so there are many insurance companies, including Medicare Part D prescription drug companies, that um, do have a mail order option. And... In that case, sometimes the prices of medications are even lower, and sometimes people can get larger quantities, like a three-month supply, by ordering through through mail order. So there are some downfalls to that. Um, if a person is getting all their medications through a mail order company, they may not have access to a pharmacist and someone to talk to um, about their medications. Um, so to me, that that's a huge problem where I, you know, I really recommend people use just one pharmacy and develop a relationship with the pharmacist or pharmacists at that local pharmacy. Again, you know, I talked about the importance of that pharmacist having a list of all medications and the pharmacist can look for drug interactions, can see what side effects might be um, more common with the, the medication regimen. Um, another problem with mail order is that you know, particularly if it's a new medication, you're getting it through mail order. You're not sure how that medication is going to work for you, and you may be wasting your money on getting like a large quantity through the mail order company. So, getting it at a local pharmacy and maybe you know getting like just a couple weeks supply might be better than using the mail order pharmacy. So, um, so th- those are some some pitfalls of using of using mail order. One thing I, I should say, though, there are a number of mail order companies now that are using that are dispensing their medications um, in special packaging, uh, particularly for older adults, and this can be um, a positive of mail order. So, um, a lot of the the packaging that they're using has been used for for decades in nursing homes, where medications are taken. In the morning, they're all packaged together instead of in all the separate bottles. And that's really helpful for older adults who may be experiencing some memory loss and can easily get confused about when to take each medication, but they're, they're clearly labeled all together in one package. That can help with medication adherence to the medic to um the medication regimen that might be complex for for certain older adults. So that's something we're seeing more and more of. I think that's that's a positive. Um, and but also some community pharmacies are, are starting to offer that special packaging as well. So something that if an older adult listener is uh, you know thinking of exploring that, something they can talk to their pharmacist about.
1: And sometimes I'm thinking well there are certainly uh places to do uh, order uh meds in um in this country they could also from do it from another country as well
0: what would you think about that i would avoid that as much as possible i mean there's a lot of medications that are sold online that come from asia and even africa south america now and we're just not sure um about the, the quality and purity of what we're getting um from those those countries. So definitely I would avoid those those altogether. You know, also heard of people going to other countries to buy their medications. Going to to Mexico, for example, is I think a popular destination because they are less expensive there. But I think before doing that, you know, look at alternatives. To getting your medications here in the United States for for safety reasons. Good
1: advice. Good advice. Well, Kathy, I wanted to also hear more about the -the over-the-counter medications and supplements. Uh, We've talked a lot now about prescription medications, but as you mentioned earlier, folks can be possibly taking more over-the-counter medications and
0: supplements as well. What do we need to know about that? Over-the-counter medications are drugs. They have benefits, but they also have risks. And it's really important for um, older people before buying a new over-the-counter medication to talk to their doctor and or their pharmacist about what's most appropriate for them. And to talk about the reasons why they need a particular over-the-counter medication. You know, are they experiencing more pain? You know, let's let's get at the reasons why that pain might be happening, and they're they're going for, you know for the Advil bottle, or they need you know extra strength Tylenol. Let's let's explore um, what might be going on um, that's causing that pain, or if they are having sleep issues. That's probably one of the most common complaints that older adults have is that their sleep changes as they age. And older adults go over-the-counter to purchase like Tylenol PM or Unisom or um, Excedrin PM, you know, particularly if they're experiencing um, some pain. But there are a lot of over-the-counter sleep products. And I want to talk about that for a minute because there is an active ingredient in many of those products that should be avoided by older adults completely. And that ingredient is diphenhydramine, which is actually the active ingredient in the antihistamine Benadryl. It has many side effects in older people. These side effects include things like um, it could lower your blood pressure, it can cause um, sleepiness during the day, even if you take it the night before. It can affect vision. It can affect urination. So it's, it's one of the medications that is included on, um, it's called the Beers list, which was named after a geriatrician, Mark Beers. And this list is a list of medications that should be avoided in older adults because of that side effect profile that Benadryl should be avoided. So Benadryl and diphenhydramine, that active ingredient. So read the labels before purchasing anything over the counter, and do not take anything that has um, diphenhydramine. So it's not only it sold as an antihistamine, and it's sold in sleep products. It's also found in cough and cold products too. So again, reading labels is vitally important for, for older adults. So so my takeaway is um, proceed with caution and seek advice before um, purchasing a new over the counter, particularly if you're already on many medications.
1: I would also like to hear a little bit more in terms of supplements. I mean, my goodness, when you start looking in the vitamin section in terms of all of these various supplements, I'm wondering if taking those can also not only impact what you're taking in terms of over-the-counter medications, but also prescription medications, and it can get pretty confusing. Do you agree?
0: I agree, because there are some supplements that can interact with With prescription drugs and over-the-counter medications and similar to what i said before you know seek the advice of your doctor um, about what supplements might be best for you you know depending on what chronic conditions you have what other medications you're taking your nutritional status too because doctors may recommend supplements because um, maybe you're not getting um, appropriate nutrition through your foods and that, that's a whole other topic that I'm sure you've had um, speakers talk about in the importance of nutrition for older adults, that there may be you know, certain supplements that doctors would advise um, certain patients to take because of their, their chronic conditions.
1: Well, and in fact, I was wondering if there were, to your knowledge, are there certain conditions where uh an over-the-counter medication is appropriate or a supplement. Did you want to talk a little bit more about that? Just so people could know?
0: Yeah, certainly um, you know, a multivitamin um might be appropriate for some for certain older adults. You know, again, if they might not be getting nutrients um completely from their foods, or they may have, you know, some digestive issues. They may need certainly some multivitamins. Um, Calcium is an important supplement that many, many physicians prescribe to um, older adults. Um, I think most say, you know, get calcium through your diet. Try to eat low-fat yogurt, um, cheeses, low-fat milk, et cetera, to get calcium. But it's hard for some people. Maybe um, some are lactose intolerant and they'll need a calcium supplement for, um, you know, if they've been diagnosed with osteoporosis or, you you know, for women, we need about 1,200 milligrams of calcium per day. For some older women, they might need more than that. So that's, that's an example of a supplement that would be prescribed for many people. Um, there are other minerals that impact, um, you know, magnesium, for example, is important for our heart health. So that might be something else that is prescribed by, um, by a physician. So so just a few vitamin D is is another um that has many benefits including um bone health benefits that might be prescribed by a physician.
1: One other uh supplement that occurs to me is is that assuming that there's lots of people listening who are on statins, sometimes physicians prescribe coq10 and I was wondering if you had any thoughts or comments about that.
0: Yeah, I think there's been um, some research studies showing the benefit of CoQ10 for people who are on statins for for um, high cholesterol lipids, um, because one of the possible side effects, doesn't mean everyone's going to experience this, is um, muscle loss. It's called rhabdomyolysis. And um, coq Q10 can help prevent that from happening, or people may experience muscle pain with, with these medications. So there have been some studies um, in the cardiology community that seem to indicate that CoQ10 can decrease the muscle breakdown, the pain, and discomfort that some people experience when they take statins. So your doctor might have you know, prescribed that um, to help prevent some of those side effects from happening.
1: Okay. Well, we're getting close to the end of the program here. Had a couple more questions that more relate to resources and programs. So you've really given us a lot of information, Kathy, and I thank you for that. I was just wondering if there's any other best resources besides the National Council on Aging that would help our listeners learn about medication-related problems and medication reviews. What, Where can we look?
0: In addition to the National Council on Aging, one website that I really like is, um, called BMedwise.org, and they have specific um, information to help older adults manage medications. Um, Also, um, another resource I'd recommend is, it's a guide that's been developed by the Food and Drug Administration for older adults. It's called Medications and You, a Guide for Older Adults. Um, so that those are, are two additional ones that I, I would recommend. Really just good advice, good information to have. Um, and then that kind of reinforces some of the things that I've been talking about today. And then also at the National Council on Aging, if you want to download the medication record form, you could go to ncoa.org and um, search for that medication record form. But before we close, I want to mention one other thing that I think is really important. Another aspect of the work that we do here at the National Council on Aging is to increase awareness and educate particularly low-income older adults about programs that are out there to help them pay for prescription drugs. And we have a lot of information on our website, but there's one program in particular. Many older people now have Medicare Part D to help them. With the costs of their prescription drugs, but even with Medicare Part D, there are still costs associated. Um, and there's something that is in place called Medicare Extra Help. And it's for people who are at um, 150% of the federal poverty limit. So, you know, low income older adults are eligible for this program and it really significantly lowers the cost to them. So for example, if you're eligible for the program, you don't have to pay any premiums for the Medicare Part D. There are no deductibles, and individuals will pay no more than $11.20 for brand name drugs and $4.50 for generic drugs. So really, really significant cost savings, again, for those who are at 150% 150% of the federal poverty level. We've got information on on that program on our website. In addition, um, often Area Agencies on Aging or um, other local agencies will help older adults get access to this program and other programs to help them save money in Medicare.
1: And so if they want the Area Agencies on Aging, again, those are located all over the, the country.
0: Yes, they are. Every community has an area agency on aging. They might be called different things in different parts of the country, but the best place to go to find your local um, agency on aging is the elder care locator. And um, you can just Google elder care locator and you know, the website will come up. You can type in your zip code and it will identify the closest agency on aging for you to contact. About this program and many other programs that that might be of benefit to to an older person. Any final comments, Kathy? Just want to thank you so much for um, for the opportunity to share important information today. And again, just advise your your listeners to um, be med wise and learn as much as you can about the medications, and don't be afraid to ask questions so that you can be an educated consumer of medications.
1: Excellent advice. Well, I wanna thank Kathleen Cameron, a pharmacist, and also the Senior Director of the Center for Healthy Aging at the National Council on Aging for joining me today. So again, thank you, Kathy. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Same here. To learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And at that site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio and TV show content, and also access the podcasts, which this program will be posted on, on Apple and Spotify and other sites. So be sure and check out Aging Matters Online. Aging Matters is produced in association with Steve Lack Audio. To learn more about that company, log on to stevelackaudio.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.